Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphins, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome into the Wednesday, April the 18th edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we are joined by one of the very best in the draft industry to unpack Miami's plans for next weekend's draft. What exactly is the plan at 11? Will they address the quarterback early? And who are the best scheme fits for the Dolphins going forward? We'll have all of that. But first, I have to remind you guys, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. And check out the number one rated blog in the Locked On Network, LockedOnDolphins.com. And of course, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL Draft podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. And I want to maximize my time with my guests. So let's get right into that here in the Locked On Dolphins podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins and I'm joined now by one of the best Twitter follows in regards to the NFL draft. You can find him at Benjamin Solak on Twitter. You can find his work at NDT Scouting. He's a former colleague of mine, former host of the Lockdown Eagles podcast, and now the co-host of Bleeding Green Radio, none other than Benjamin Solak. Thanks for joining the show, Ben. Hey, how you doing, Travis? Thanks for having me on, Chief. Kind of you, man. Yeah, man, of course, it's always good to get a, a draft nick on this time of year. I know it's a little bit chaotic with all the swirlings of rumors and news going on but you've you've done some really good work man i've read a lot of your stuff i think that 100 man big board you did was put together really well so thank you for all the work you do on that stuff Nah, man it's draft season this is what it's all about it's a great time so i'm glad you enjoyed it and uh let's hope that it's uh it's accurate let's hope that it's right you know <laughs> that's the goal for everybody i suppose this time of year but first things first man you got to explain to a fan base that has experienced very little success recently and I want to kind of know what is the offseason like coming off of a world championship have you come down yet oh never never have never will <laughs> and winning winning the first one I mean you always remember your first one right and just <laughs> all of the uh all the narratives that went into it all the hoopla all the uh there was so much going on and there was so much about this team that that made you love rooting for them, even though they were your home team, you know, just with the way the locker room was created and, and the personalities that they have in there and the work that they were doing with, with social justice. And then a lot of the prominent figures on this team are just really likable guys. Like Chris Long, Doug Peterson, uh, Jason Peters, you know, Malcolm Jenkins, Carson Wentz, Alshon Jeffrey, Jalen Mills, like you can go on and on. There's just so many really fun personalities. Uh, and then for the Carson Wentz injury and for Nick Foles to come in and then, you know, the underdog thing and then up against Brady and, and Brady's the Belichick. They're the villains of the NFL. It's just there was so much goodness. And it was just such an enjoyable experience to root for them. And then obviously to come out with the W and and watch the city of Philadelphia just implode afterward only adds to it. So, yeah, uh, no, we're not going to forget this one ever. Going to tell the story to my kids, going to tell the story to my grandkids. It, it's, it's a good feeling. And the story of or the town of Rocky too, the Nick Foles story just makes it even better. And, you know, for a team that basically has been in a bit of a downward spiral since Ryan Tannehill got hurt, our starting quarterback. And I don't know if you saw my timeline at all today before coming on, Ben, but I had something of a smammery combative attitude today. And I attribute the complaining 
to draft burnout. And my background comes in more pro personnel. I love getting into the NFL All-22. And I mean, I, I watch every college game on Saturday or, or you know, the, the slate of games. I DVR the games. I DVR the senior bowl practices for future use. And I do about 95% of my work off of YouTube. But we are now right. eight days out and I am dragging. So for you, I imagine it's like pulling up to the 26th mile marker of a marathon, but the end is very near. So what's your approach for kind of handling you know, all that pushback of an industry that seems to have a million amateur scouts scattered all over the country telling you that your opinion sucks, basically. Yeah, it, it's, it's a really interesting conversation. And, um, I mean, firstly, if you're going to cover the draft year-round, you got to really love football. I mean, you know, that's, that's obviously the first qualifier. But also, it's very important, you know, a lot of times in, in just media in general, and then you can even get specific with sports media and get even closer with NFL draft media, we feel this this driving need to be right, and we feel like the most important thing for us to do is be right. And especially as draft analysts, we're not uh, a scout working for a team. A scout working for a team wants his team to win a championship. So it's important that he's right, but what's most important is that the team overall is right. And so if there's disagreements in the war room and they're, they're trying to figure things out, well, the, the scout's pride is kind of subordinated to the team getting the correct player. When you're in the, the, when you're in the media covering the draft, there's no team. And so as a result, we get really oriented on being right. Uh, and we feel this, this need to, to be correct and for everybody to know that we're correct. And that's what can very often lead for uh, draft media and draft coverage to become very jaded and become very tiresome and become very combative, which just drains us uh, because everybody needs to be correct. And so, I don't know, uh, for me, always just trying to approach it from the sense that I'd much rather be kind than be right. I'd much rather have a good time than have a fighting, angry time. And so if I say something that, that's, that's wrong or if somebody comes at me and they tell me that what I said was dumb, I don't need to interface with that. That's not constructive for me. You know, that's not bringing anything to my life. Uh, and so the best way to last through a, a, a season that gets inherently just pugnacious and, and frustrating is just to you know, recognize what's important and what's not. At the end of the day, your team's going to have like seven new players. And it's going to be seven new players that they intended on getting. Uh, they have a plan to use them to get better. Look into those guys. Get excited about them. Uh, try to understand how your team is going to deploy them. Learn more about the game. Learn more about the new young men for whom you're rooting. And and everything else is, is bullocks. Who they could have drafted, what trades they could have made, who should have gone where, whatever. That doesn't matter. It's okay. You know, the sun rises tomorrow. Just enjoy football. That's it's, it's very easy. That's exactly the voice of reason we need to hear in Dolphins land. But let's go ahead and jump into some Dolphins talk and start with a topic that everybody wants to hear about, the quarterback. I mean, you guys know the importance of a backup quarterback in Philadelphia, obviously. But if you could, real quick for us, Benjamin, give us a brief rundown of the big four and who do you think would be the best scheme fit for the Dolphins? And is there a chance they actually get to eleven? Yeah, you know, it's incredibly interesting and just fun coverage this year uh, of the quarterbacks. There's so much that goes into it, and really it's been a joy to cover this class. I was able to go through every single uh, pass uh, in 2017 for all the quarterbacks in this class as part of my contextualized quarterbacking project uh, for NDT Scouting, which is this big charting endeavor that covers all, all of these players. Now, I think my number one overall quarterback, a player about whom I'm very excited, is Josh Rosen out of UCLA. I think he's the best passer that we've got in this class. Uh, he's not, you know, the impro improvisationist, I suppose, than maybe a Baker Mayfield or Lamar Jackson, as he doesn't threaten you in that way. And, uh, you know, he definitely doesn't do the most outside of scheme. Uh, but, but Rosen is just simply incredibly and unbelievably precise, not accurate, precise. 
to all the levels of the field, hitting all the concepts, working through his progressions. This is a guy who the biggest concerns with him, in my eyes, are going to be uh, injury and durability concerns. He's not small, but he's not big. You know, he's just like he's a, a little quarterback dude. And then he's gotten beaten up over his years at UCLA, and he's had to miss some games. And so you just want to make sure he's a guy that you can protect and you can keep him on the field. But he strikes me as the number one uh, player, the number one quarterback, simply because he does have unbelievable precision. My number two is Lamar Jackson. Uh, young man out of Louisville, Heisman winner, is more accurate than we give him credit for, is more precise than we give him credit for. It's very easy to talk about his misses because his misses tend to be by a mile. You know, some quarterbacks miss by four feet. Lamar tends to miss by like 40. Uh, and, and the reality <laughs> is he simply just gets lazy with his mechanics, which is something that any quarterback's coach worth his salt should be able to improve over the first couple years of his career. But once we get past that, we see somebody who's excellent working through his progressions, is able to read the full field, is not a one-look-and-scramble running sort of a quarterback. If anything, he stays in the pocket too long, and he doesn't trust his instincts enough to tell him, hey, get out of here, because he really wants to affirm the fact that he can pass from the pocket. So he has to be careful there. Then you throw in the fact that we've never seen an athlete like this at the quarterback position, and he's a dynamic playmaker that can really change the game. Uh, number three for me is going to be Baker Mayfield. Baker would be closer to Lamar, but I feel like there's a little bit uh, more scheme reliance uh, for a Baker Mayfield. I think Lamar and uh, Rosen can pretty much fit almost anywhere, whereas Baker would really benefit from a spready sort of a system simply because he's a little bit more accurate than he is precise. His accuracy is a little bit more general than it is pinpoint. When you get down deep into the numbers, people talk about anticipation concerns and reading the field concerns because of the spread offense in which he played in Oklahoma. And to me, I don't see those as much. I see a young man who can throw with anticipation, who can hit tight windows and work his reads, but he isn't a pinpoint passer. It's more of a general accuracy. And so I would like to see him in a system that widens out some space from a little bit instead of him having to consistently pass uh, to a spot, you know, pass uh, to a location and work in tighter windows in that way. Uh, a big step down from those three, I, I shouldn't say a big, a, a moderate size step down from those three is Sam Darnold. Uh, to me, at a USC young man, not as much starting experience, not as much throwing experience, and predictably raw. Uh, this is a guy who, who still struggles to set his feet with consistency, who still struggles to see the field with consistency, and as a result, you just see inconsistency on the field. You see inconsistent accuracy. So right now, everything you want is there, but it's not there with the frequency that would allow you to consistently run an offense through him. So he's a guy who definitely needs time to learn. I'm not saying sit him in his first season, because some guys learn better on the field, and Darnold showed as a young player that he learned really well on the fly. So maybe it's about playing him in 2018 and just resigning yourself to the fact that that won't be the winningest season. Uh, but he's a guy who I think needs to be more of a three-year projection, and so he's pushed down a little bit from those top three. And then all the way uh, down on my quarterback nine, as a matter of fact, is Josh <laughs> Allen. And, and, and quite simply, it's very difficult for me to bet on a quarterback who struggles with decision-making and processing speed. Uh, if you can't see a field, diagnose what's occurring, and decide where to go with the football with incredible rapidity, uh, you're going to really struggle at the NFL level. As of right now, there's little evidence that Josh Allen can do so. And so you're very, very nervous about how he projects to the next level. So he's quite far down on the list for me. Those are the top five. Uh, as far as the Miami situation goes, as I said, I think that uh, Rosen and Jackson are scheme agnostic. You can put them in any scheme and they would be successful. I think what you've seen Adam Gase do 
uh, does really lend itself to either uh, simply because he's a creative offensive coordinator and he'll be able to sculpt it around the player. I don't think he's ever really had a guy who's as mobile as a Jackson. I think that's a very, you know, nobody's as mobile as Jackson, right. but he hasn't really had an elite mobile quarterback before. And I think, you know, a, a pocket idea with Rosen does make a little bit more sense. And I think uh, a Baker Mayfield as well could greatly benefit from the West Coasty style of offense that you're seeing in Miami. So I think of the top guys, those are, are your best fits. I think that there's certainly a, a world in which uh, Rosen and Jackson are both available within striking distance for the Dolphins. I think a trade-up would still be necessitated. Uh, Lamar, you could probably get around 11. Uh, and, and to me, that's that's a very legitimate option for the Dolphins. I'm a Tannehill fan. I like him. But Lamar's an exceptional talent. And with Tannehill's help, you may be looking to bring in a young guy, in which case I think you know, you're going to be very tempted if Lamar Jackson's available at 11. I'm really glad you mentioned Lamar Jackson into that big four that I kind of pigeonholed you on there because to me, like you mentioned, that upside, that athleticism is such a rare trait that if we're going to move on from Tannehill, I want to be a guy that has the upside where he can just come in and, and blow the league away compared to Tannehill, who's kind of like a you know top 10, 12, 15 quarterback, wherever you want to put him. I want to have a guy that has the upside to be much, much better than that. So we've got plenty more here with Benjamin Solak. You can get at him on Twitter, on Twitter at Benjamin Solak and on LockdownDolphins.com. Travis Wingfield here with you guys at Wingfield NFL at LockdownFins. And we're back here joined by Benjamin Solak of NDT Scouting, talking NFL draft and specifically the Miami Dolphins draft. And we just talked about the quarterbacks at length. Very good stuff from you there, Ben. But I wanted to ask you, going deeper into the draft before we get out of the quarterback realm altogether, and if they don't go quarterback at 11, which, I mean, it sounds like you feel like the only one that could be available is Lamar Jackson there. That could be a prime spot to either trade back or maybe address one of the defensive needs the Dolphins have. So let's say they don't go quarterback early and they have an opportunity to get one later in the draft. Pick 42, pick 73, or pick 123 in the fourth round. Now we've heard a lot about Kyle LaLetta. Luke Falk has worked out with the Dolphins extensively. Who is your best fit that's not a first-round quarterback for Miami? Yeah, I think that I would be very interested in, uh, in a LaLetta there in Miami. LaLetta is my quarterback five. Uh, very excited about this young man. I do think he's a round two, round three sort of a guy, uh, simply because you do have physical limitations. You do have questions coming from an FCS school like Richmond. But that being said, he's a guy that I compare uh, to Alex Smith as far as play style and physical tools go. And this is a guy who really strikes me as a guy who's going to at least stick around in the league for a long time, if not become a low-end to decent starter. I, I think that, yeah, you wouldn't be getting a higher ceiling uh, from a Lauletta than you would from a Ryan Tannehill. I think the only thing you might be able to get, you know, is more consistent game-to-game basis simply because he'll be healthier, Lauletta will. But you have a young man who's incredibly sharp, uh, really, really excellent football mind. You know, four offensive coordinators during his time at Richmond has had to learn multiple playbooks, has had to work multiple concepts, sees the field very, very, very well, uh, and then has that pinpoint accuracy. This is a guy who has good, if not better, accuracy scores than uh, Josh Rosen does. Uh, because he consistently puts the football where it needs to be. And when you process defenses as quickly as he does and have the pinpoint accuracy that he does, uh, and, and on top of that, a very quick release, very clean mechanically, it helps assuage concerns of arm strength, which is where you'll see the biggest detractors talk about Lauletta, is that he doesn't have a, a massive arm. He doesn't like to push the ball deep. He can throw an accurate deep ball 30, 35, 40 yards down the field. He doesn't like to. He prefers to nickel and dime you. And then even when he's throwing to the outside hashes, it's not a heater. You know what I mean? He's got to get the ball out quickly. He's got to see the window quickly. And he does this consistently. 
Contrast that with a Luke Falk, Washington State, who I'm not as bullish on. Uh, Falk is a guy who's got a clean release. He's pretty decent mechanically, but he doesn't see it nearly as quickly as Lauletta does. He doesn't throw with that level of anticipation. And as a result, his arm strength is more pronounced in the on-field product, in which case he puts more balls in danger and windows close faster on him. And so that's a big strength for Lauletta, very important to his game, and he checks that box for me. So again, not a high ceiling guy, but he's a guy you could definitely uh, talk about in round two there in the 40s. Uh, as someone to bring in to compete with Tannehill, maybe provide some more consistency. If you're looking for a higher ceiling guy, Chase Lynn out of Marshall would be the young man that I would circle. He's got some off-field questions you do have to worry about. He's a round four, round five guy. It's very difficult for these very raw players to ha- to uh, to come out, you know what I mean, to, to actually uh, to have their talent sussed out and to grow into something. It doesn't happen very often. But Lynn gives you a, a great frame decent processing ability and, and certainly Marshall is a very simple offense so it remains to be seen what he can learn and what he can do with his reads great natural talent great field throws the ball with nice touch down the sidelines excellent pushing the ball down the field uh, so this is a guy that you'd like to bring into your building and work with him and see what you can grow and so those would be the two names that I would highlight Lynn you'd be able to get with that 100s pick in the fourth round Lauletta would likely cost you the second maybe a little bit of a move back if you think you can get away with it and those are the two guys he is Benjamin Solak at Benjamin Solak on Twitter. And let's go ahead and get out of the quarterback realm here real quick, Ben, and talk about the Dolphins' two, I would say, most pressing needs at this moment. Right now we're looking at A.J. Derby and Marquise Gray as tight ends, and then Raquan McMillan, who is a sophomore coming off of a rookie season where he didn't play a game due to an ACL, and then the venerable Kiko Alonso at linebacker wow. at top of the depth chart. So at those two positions, can you talk about some of the guys that are your favorite prospects, where they might go, and what they specialize in? Certainly. So tight end, uh, probably at 11, you're not going to be buying on any of these guys. I'm bigger on this tight end class than a lot of people are. I think both Dallas Goddard out of South Dakota State and Mike Gesicki out of Penn State are worth round one selections. Uh, However, they have enough question marks that they'll probably get pushed further down for Goddard wasn't very active in the pre-draft process because of a hamstring injury, but at his South Dakota State Pro Day, which was a little bit quiet because it's South Dakota State, yeah. he put up <laughs> astounding numbers. You know, he put up a three-cone that that running backs and, and corners would look to have, you know, in the in the six-eights, and this is a guy who, you know, had excellent jump numbers as far as explosiveness goes. So really a dynamic on-the-field athlete. Uh, play style is very comparable to Travis Kelsey in terms of an excellent route runner with very consistent hands at and outside of his frame, and then with some good ability to break tackles uh, and, and to really move down the field. Uh, Mike Kosicki is a, is a wide receiver. He's not a tight end. He can't block worth a lick. Uh, and this is a guy who... You know, his route running gets questioned a little bit. He seems to labor in and out of his breaks a touch. He seems to be a little stiff. But I think you could get more out of him from a route running perspective than what he was asked to do at Penn State, which was a rather limited route tree. Uh, the thing about Gesicki is the timing in the air and the ability to haul and contest the catches with incredible grip strength. So this is the guy who you can throw him open even when he's closed, and he'll be able to make fantastic plays for you in that regard. He is a Jimmy Graham type of, of tight end who you don't really want lining up online, but in the red zone is going to be a, a vicious threat. And so these are guys who, if you see them start to drop into the top of round two, which I think you could certainly see with Goddard, I would imagine Gesicki who put up unprecedented, literally unprecedented numbers at the tight end position, would go somewhere at the end of round one, I would imagine. 
simply because you put up those good of numbers, it's very hard for teams to go past you. Uh, but even if both or perhaps just one starts dropping into the top of round two, I think that's a fantastic pick uh, for the Dolphins, a team who's desperately needed tight end play. And Gase's best offenses have historically come with good tight end production. So I think he really needs to invest in talent there. On the other side, linebacking. Now, this is where 11 gets interesting. Uh, from how I see the board playing out, I would imagine one of Roquan Smith or Tremaine Edmonds is available for you at 11. And Roquan Smith out of Georgia, Tremaine Edmonds out of Virginia Tech. Edmonds is is my linebacker one. He's a top five player on my board, young 19-year-old. Exceptional development across the end of uh, the season last year, his final season at Virginia Tech, where he's clearly coming into his own as far as processing speed, understanding his keys, and, and how to advantageously attack unique situations, how to see how he's being approached by an offensive line and decide whether to shoot underneath or to take the block and stack on top, how to arrive with physicality, how to play with patience. Linebackers have to make a ton of different decisions, and you want to stylistically be able to do several different things, and Edmonds is just starting to learn that. And so really there's a, a, a wonderfully high ceiling here that gets people very, very excited, rightfully so, with Edmonds. Really great coverage ability, great blitzer. At the Sam position, which I would say is the weakest for the Dolphins right now, he's a very, very good fit. Now, if they want to dedicate their Sam to more coverage stuff, then Roquan Smith does make sense there as well. Out of Georgia, he's a little bit smaller. He doesn't have the same physicality that, that Edmonds does, but he's been processing at a, at a nice level for a much longer period of time. And he's been a polished product, right? A product who's closer to his ceiling than Edmonds is, so he's a bit more of a known quantity. And then in coverage, he's exceptional because he's a just a, a sublime mover in space, even you know linear or through a circle, you know, changing directions, flipping his hips. Closing burst zone or man, he's a great, great, great coverage backer. And I think that's something that the Dolphins desperately need. So if they feel comfortable putting Roquan Smith as a, just a pure coverage linebacker and, and shifting Alonzo and McMillan around to pull that off, then both of them make sense. And I think both, uh, at least one, I should say, should be available at 11. To me, that pick makes a ton of sense. Dolphins desperately do need some linebacking talent. We're talking to Benjamin Solak of NDT Scouting. You can find his work there as well as on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. We have one last thing to talk about here and kind of putting the gun to Ben's head in terms of who the Dolphins will pick at both 11 and 42 next on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast at Linkfield NFL at Lockdown Fins. And before we let Ben go, I want to ask him one last thing about pick number 11 as well as 42. Now, Ben, I've got a big board here next to my quote-unquote lab that I do all my work in. I have prospects color-coordinated by round, and it gets tinkered with almost daily. But I keep coming back to the same options at pick number 11, and they are Derwin James, Mika Fitzpatrick, Roquan Smith, Tremaine Edmonds, Vito Vea, and Rashawn Evans. You guys, you've already talked about in the podcast here, but it kind of goes in line with what the Dolphins' biggest weaknesses were outside of the poor quarterback play last year and that they couldn't get off the field in third and long and they couldn't prevent red zone touchdowns and hold teams to field goals. So my question to you is, at pick 11, who presents the Dolphins the most value of those guys? Let's say that all of Derwin, Minka, Roquan, Tremaine, and Evans and Vea are all there. Who is the best value pick there? Tremaine. I would say, I think if you look at the Dolphins right now, especially in the AFC East, you're talking about a team that might be, you know, pushing for a wild card spot. But overall, this isn't a team that that is, you know, really going to be competing next year. Lost a decent amount of star talent. I hate to say that to you, Travis, but I just don't think, you know, that that uh, 2018 is is the is the uh, playoff push, the Super Bowl push season. Very so very lost, used to it by now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lost lost some key talent, right? You know, lost some and Sue. Well, Jarvis Landry, you know, even if, you know, he wasn't a star for you, he was still a big-time guy. Mike Pouncey is gone. These are some of your top players recently. And so 
you know, we're talking about a team that's in a bit of a rebuild situation. So Edmonds, who is a guy who you expect to grow into the position, probably be better in 2019, 2020 than he is in 2018, 2019, makes a ton of sense. An incredible physical profile. gives you the ability to move guys around on your linebacking core in the event that you're trying to move on from Alonzo or McMillan doesn't pan out. One of these things, you know, I think Edmonds gives you that stability. So he's the biggest value pick. I think, you know, a guy like Ovita Bayer or Rashawn Evans is a bit of a reach. Uh, I think you can get players who can give you similar ability. You know, later, uh, talking about that peg at 42. Uh, Roquan does make a ton of sense. Then you did lose Nate Allen in free agency. I don't think you have, uh, I don't think safety is a huge need for the Dolphins, but Minka and Derwin are both top 10 talents. And if they're available, they should certainly be in the conversation. I think when you look at how need and, and talent and the board align, however, if one of Roquan or Tremaine is there, that should be the selection. And it kind of circles back to the idea that the Dolphins, they're, they're talking about possibly moving TJ McDonald down to more of a money linebacker or dollar linebacker position. So if you open right. up that hole at safety there, you could definitely do some certain things with guys like Derwin and Minka that have the versatility you mentioned. But just in germs, in terms of general philosophy at that pick, you talked about Tremaine Edmonds and Roquan Smith. Do you worry at all about the limitations in terms of maybe being able to play 100% of the snaps? Or do you think both those guys will be full-time, you know, three-down linebackers? Yeah, three-down backers, uh, you know, I, I put my stamp on that. I put my name on that. These are guys who, if you can't figure out how to get these athletes on the field to cover somebody, you bad defense coordinator. Simple as that, you know what I mean? Uh, and if Edmonds is, is going to give you more as a, as a rusher, you know, Smith is, is, a, is a good blitzer because he's fast. But Evans has a physical frame where he can really take on guys. And so they're both going to give you something as a blitzer, which is already, like, enough. It's not great, but it's enough. But then these guys both have the ability to carry tight ends and running backs down the field. You know, Edmonds is a is going to be more of a tight end seam sort of a guy because he's got this huge frame, really long arms, good physicality. Roquan's got the better quickness and space for running backs. But if you can't figure out how to get these guys covering on third down in your scheme, then your scheme sucks. That's, you know, that's, that's a long and short of it. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of Dolphins fans already feel that way with Matt Burke in his first year as defensive coordinator. But if you give us linebacker Tremaine Edmonds at pick 11, you've already addressed one of our two biggest needs. And now 42 seems like a great spot for a tight end. We talked about it earlier in the podcast. Right. Who would be the best pick at tight end there? And if it's not a tight end, who is a guy that could possibly slide down and fall in the draft a little bit at a position like maybe defensive tackle or running back that might be a better fit there. So a tight end prospect and a wild card there, if you could. No, certainly. I think, yeah, you have uh, all the tight ends on the board could be options there. Uh, like I said, I, brought, I talked about Goddard and Gesicki. You also have Mark Andrews out of Oklahoma, who's an excellent yak threat. He is definitely a wide receiver more so than he is a tight end. Isn't the same route runner. Probably isn't the same athlete as a Gesicki or a Goddard, but yak ability is really impressive for this young man. And then you have a Hayden Hurst out of South Carolina, who's the most polished of these guys, gives you the best ability in line as a blocker, but he is quite old, right? And for a team like the Dolphins, who've probably got a three-year projection, more than a one-year projection, perhaps uh, Hurst isn't the best fit. All of these guys could be potentially available at 42. And I think when you look at how the, the Dolphins currently have their wide receiver core constructed, having brought in Amendola and Wilson recently, those are, you know, maybe they're, they're more slot guys or whatever, and you worry about, uh, you know, saturating the slot position. But really, you want to be able to get an above-the-rim guy uh, who can give you size, who can go and he can make tough catches across the middle, maybe not as much of a separator. I think that need is there. And so if you just want to quantify wide receivers and tight ends as pass catchers in general, then a Mike Gesicki makes a ton of sense. 
uh, simply because he's going to line up at a wide receiver position. He's not going to be, you know, exclusively in line and, and your entire offense is going to be run between the hashes. You can go split him out wide. He's going to give you excellent red zone ability. So Gesicki, I think, is a beautiful fit who makes a ton of sense for what the Dolphins like to do. If tight end isn't the move, uh, you know, I think running back you can get later, but defensive tackle is certainly a conversation. You know, the, the Dolphins could use pass rushing juice across the board, really. I like Charles Harris coming out of Missouri, another player, not unlike Edmonds, who I think was going to be much better in his second year as a pro than he was in his first year as a pro, and I'm excited to see it. And, uh, of course, you know, the Dolphins brought in Robert Quinn, kind of speaking to the fact that they know they need some pass rush ability, both on the edge and on the inside as well. Cameron Wake, I love Cameron Wake. Everybody loves Cameron Wake. But brother's 36. Uh, so, you know, the, the end of the road is fast approaching for Wake, and he's been playing exceptionally well into his mid-30s. But eventually that's going to come to a close. And then even on top of that, you know, you've got guys on the inside, um, you know, Andre Branch, William Hayes. These are, these are strong players, but they're not generating a lot of rush for you. And so I would really like to see them bring in somebody uh, in the mid-40s who has just excellent rush ability. We're talking on the edge then I think a guy like a Sam Hubbard out of Ohio State is a really nice, polished rusher who can give you instant production if you want to go on the edge. You could also talk there about a Marcus Davenport out of UTSA, who's a guy who you can build up and you can improve him a little bit. You can give him uh, some time to grow. Josh Sweat out of Florida State is a nice local product in the, in the state of Florida who makes a lot of sense there as well. On the interior, you've probably seen the big three go, Vita Vea, Maurice Hurst, and Taven Bryan. And now you're starting to fall a little bit into, you know, some of these these bigger guys, Deron Payne, Alabama, Derek Naughty, Florida State, these guys are space eaters, and we want somebody with penetration ability. So we talk about an Andrew Brown out of Virginia, played defensive end, but has the frame to play defensive tackle, projects best as a three-tech in the NFL where he can really use his penetration ability, makes a ton of sense, good alignment of value, and, and pick at that place there in the mid-40s. And then Nathan Shepard, uh, this is a guy uh, out of Fort Hayes State, Division II school, you know, he's a bit of an older prospect, but he gives you one tech and three tech ability. So that's a three down player. He is stout against the run, but he does have exceptional pass rush ability. Really nice fluidity throughout the entirety of his frame. Knows how to use his hands. Super violent. Those are two players I like to give them a little bit more pass rush there in the beginning of round two. I was pretty bummed out to hear him get injured early on in the senior bowl, not get to see him work yeah. there at all. But, you know, you mentioned the pass rushers and kind of having guys that can come in in rotations and kick inside and do everything you want in terms of rushing the passer. It almost seems like the Dolphins are kind of building a blueprint behind what the Philadelphia Eagles did last year. We talked a little bit off air about Chris Long and, and kind of some of the guys that added that pass rush step. So I think the Dolphins could definitely go in that direction. Oh, certainly. At the end of the day, the NFL is, is a trench game and a passing game. You know, you got to be able to control the line of scrimmage and you got to be able to throw the football and defend the pass. And so when we're talking, you know, about these linebackers, we said, okay, can they be on the field for three downs? Because they need to be able to cover. They need to be able to, to play the pass on third down. And then certainly when you look at places to improve as far as get in guys that can be potential stars, developmental prospects, it always makes sense to go into the trenches, defensive end, defensive tackle. And then, heck, you know, bringing in Sitton was a good move for the Dolphins, but you could still use competition there in the interior, uh, especially with, with Pouncey heading out. You made the trade with the Niners, of course, and so that's another place they could go, uh, top of round two. You're talking about a really, really nice, healthy interior offensive line class. Guys like Austin Corbett out of Nevada make a ton of sense. Brandon Smith out of Auburn. These are good players, uh, and being able to snag one of them really does shore up 
shore up your trenches. Simple as that. Well, Ben, I think you have successfully rejuvenated me for the draft. We are just eight days away now as you guys listen there to this episode is. on Wednesday. You can find his work at NDT Scouting. He is the host of Bleeding Green Nation Radio and at Benjamin Solak on Twitter. Ben, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight, man. Thank you so much, Travis. You have a good one, Chief. And you as well, my friend. And there you have it. Some very good information from a very good draft scout at NDT Scouting, Benjamin Solak. Thanks again for him coming on the show. Although I do disagree about some of his takes in regards to the Dolphins in a complete rebuild. You guys know how I feel about that, but that's for another podcast for another day. That will do it for this edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a rating, leave us a review, and check out the other Lockdown Sports podcast for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Lockdown Fins and follow our flagship show at Lockdown on NFL both on Twitter and Facebook and the number one rated blog in the Lockdown Network LockdownDolphins.com you guys have a great rest of your night we'll talk to you tomorrow for another edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football